Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Episode one, number 194 of the Course Ground Podcast. I can't count this high with you as always this evening. Host creator, Sean Rossler. How is everyone doing out there this evening? Hopefully a little better than me. The pollen's got me a little croaky, so if you're a regular listener, you're going to be like, what the hell's wrong with him? And actually, if you're a casual listener, you're going to be like, what the hell's wrong with him for a different reason? So whatever. Who cares? Back again. God, can you believe it? I didn't wait a month between episodes anymore. Excuses, excuses, right? But we're back, baby. A bit of a shift in plans tonight, as things so often do in this realm. But we're going to be sidestepping my dear old hometown of Honesdale for the moment and focusing on my current hometown of Bloomsburg. Lots going on here, as you've heard over innumerable episodes. But there's one thing, one person, dare I say that while I had a little bit of stage time with him for 100, hint, hint, I've never got him on the mic with me to understand just who he is and what makes him tick. That stuff, my friends, ends tonight. Tonight's guest, and this is not a stretch, is synonymous with food and drink in Bloomsburg. For as far back as I can remember, and believe me, that's reaching back quite a ways, he was in one way, shape, or form influenced my late night dining habits, and to be honest, my even later night drinking habits. From Harry's to Harry's 2 to the study bar, it was always a presence you knew, a comforting one at that. Dare I say cheers vibe, without Norm, sadly. You were taken care of and taken care of well. Cue COVID, and as we say in the industry, shit went sideways. But leave it to our guest and his incredible partner to take a pandemic and make pierogi. See what I did there? Fast forward even further, and the influence remains in the newest establishment, Brewski's on Main Street. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself and tell the whole story, but it's a damn impressive one. I can't wait to hear about. So let's get to it, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between. Local bar, restaurant, staple, co-owner of Brewski's Coffee and Bar, and the freaking mayor of Bloomsburg, let's be honest, the Justin Humble. What's going on, dude? Not too much, sir. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. uh, Pleasure to have you. Uh, Again, I've been chomping at the bit since 100. It only took me 94 episodes, and my dad later. It's too soon. I get it. That's how I game. Um, so nice to have you, man. Nice to have you here. Um, folks new to the program, folks with terrible short-term memories like mine, starters, mains, and afters. Starters, we're going to talk about where the guest in question came from, what really kind of got them started. Mains, we'll talk about where they're at, what inspires them. And finally, afters, a little bit more irreverent, a little bit more off the cuff, but no one has been profoundly injured in 193 episodes, so I don't see it happening tonight. So without further ado... Mayor Justin Hummel, talk to me about where and what you grew up eating. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I don't remember anything particularly extravagant growing up as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, my neither of my parents, I would say, were particularly foodie. Mm-hmm. Um, but my grandfather on my dad's side enjoyed cooking, so there were oftentimes lots of uh, you know, a couple family get-togethers over the summer. He was well-known for his, like, baked beans that, you know, nice. there is no recipe for. It's just he knows how to make it. Yeah. Um, so those sorts of things I grew up around. But also, my uh, both sides of my family were both involved in the uh, food business. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother's side, we uh, owned and operated the Hotel McGee in downtown Bloomsburg for many, many years. Yep. And that was a very well-known establishment in the area. Um, especially before Route 80 was put in. Um, for those that aren't familiar with our area, we have about three stops off of Route 80 uh, on the eastern side of Pennsylvania here. 
before he hit the Poconos. And, but before that, Route 11 was the main drag between Harrisburg and, you know, the points north. Yep. And we were almost exactly midway between what would be Wilkes Barre, Scranton, and Harrisburg. So the Hotel McGee per capita for a long time was one of the most successful uh, hotels in the country. Well, in the state in particular. Sure. Uh, but out of the area as well. And there was a gentleman there, Mr. Benefield. Um, who was well known in the area as the Jolly Fat Man. Probably wouldn't fly as a moniker today. But. Nah, we're a little more sensitive about that, but we get it. We understand. Um, but he was well known in the catering circles and hospitality circles uh, for many, many years. And after he left uh, Bloomsburg, he went on to State College to manage the Nittany Inn. Love it. Um, so I grew up, um, it, you know, with it with that background on the hotel side. And then um, my father's family um, had the local candy shop and um, had a restaurant called Licky Split for many years that um, had an ice cream parlor and, you know, just, again, traditional American yeah. food, really. Yeah, I mean, so, so, so you were in the industry. And before I, I, I step more into your, into your backdrop, I do want to mention one thing. Folks unfamiliar with Bloomsburg, you know, you and I are here. We get it. But the name McGee, um, there's, there's some definite history there. If you would, please... As as Mayor of Bloomsburg, would you wax historic for sixty seconds or less on the name McGee in the area? What uh, like what did they bring to the area? Well, you know, in the early days of Bloomsburg, um, there were people living here, and what they needed were jobs. Um, mm-hmm. So the town went about advertising in the Philadelphia newspapers for um, industrialists and entrepreneurs that were willing to come to town. Mm-hmm. Um, my great great grandfather, um, by accounts, was sort of the black sheep of his family, and they had a carpet uh, in. Uh, manufacturer in Philadelphia mm-hmm. um, that he cut away from and came up here to start uh, new. And it started out as a webbing uh, business that he made like uh, webbing is what you would put down for like uh, upholstery for chairs or mm-hmm. mattresses and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, townspeople bought in shares and things. And as uh, the business actually, you know, failed a couple times, um, but they were able to resurrect it. And as it got bigger, they, you know, he bought out the locals and things like that. But by the time that it actually got on its feet, um, um, by the late, you know, 60s, 70s, uh, we were really cooking. Uh, we made very high-end um, woven carpets yeah. and had several patents for machines to do it. And uh, we're very well known in that industry. Um, in 72, the Agnes flood came and uh, really disrupted our business. Um, at that point, we got out of the residential carpet business, but um, that we had also established uh, connections with General Motors and were a primary General Motors supplier. So uh, the, the main family business was uh, carpet production, and we were very well known um, as far as that goes in town, and we're one of the largest employers for a very long time. Yep. Um, but, uh, you know, that success then drove uh, my great-grandfather his dad was the one that purchased the hotel, but he went on to establish uh, the local radio station. He uh, founded the airport and the flying club and uh, Columbia Airways um, and several other you know ventures that went other places. So, um, you know, hospitality and commitment to the community has really yep. been a strain that's gone through the family for a long time. We, we only bring the most illustrious, dedicated guests to the show. So, like, when we talk about the mayor of Bloomsburg knowing his stuff back, right, and sideways... This is why, kids. So the name McGee, if you hear it around Bloomsburg, it's not just as simple as automotive carpet. I knew there was more to it. And honestly, I just learned something there. So let's let's step away from the history. We could talk about that all night. Let's talk back again about the restaurateur, uh, bar owner, culinary genius that is Justin Hommel. 
um, you know, looking back to those childhood foods and that, you know, that, that feel, you know, I grew up in Northeast PA, you grew up in Central PA, but there's definitely like a, like a PA vibe to that. Um, is there any dish in particular when you think back to it, you think, God, I missed that. I wish I could have that again. And you just can't like maybe, maybe it is grandpa's, you know, baked beans that nobody had a recipe for, or maybe it's something else. <laughs> so the thing that I found of recent, um, is, uh, one of the things that we were really well known for was called the groaning board, which, okay. uh, was this smorgasbord, uh, that was put on, we did a lot of catering. So I assumed that it was a great way to, um, get rid of things that might've been left over. Yes. Um, do those sorts of things but i remember being a kid and like apple butter and cottage cheese were you know where it was at if i could get my mother to you know basically allow me to have a plate of just that i was in heaven and i had all these warm and fuzzy memories about apple butter and now that we've been working uh farmer's markets for the last few years this is great local uh orchard that does apple butter and i went whole hog and bought two things of apple butter and it is entirely too sweet for me to eat. <laughs> apple <laughs> butter like, how the hell did i ever stomach this shit uh, <laughs> well you know i think when you're younger you like the sweet a little bit more but apple butter i i do feel is like an unsung hero of condiments, of, of sweet condiments, yeah. per se. You know, that, pump, pumpkin butter doesn't need to be at the table, I don't think. I don't like pumpkin butter. I'll sidestep that. But apple butter and cottage cheese from a man, Justin. Um, safe to say that, uh, grandpa was the greatest culinary influence growing up? Um, you know, honestly, I wouldn't say that because okay. the meals that I remember the most are with my mother's, uh, parents who would take us to, uh, restaurants that probably did not appreciate having kids at. Oh, okay. And, um, so we got to have some really interesting foods and meals from a young age. I remember liking steamed clams from being a real little kid, mm-hmm. um, and going to Ridgeways when Ridgeways was still. A I thing. remember Ridgeways, so, man. That was my freshman year of college, I think. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I remember more being intrigued by the idea of a good sit-down meal with it being properly served and you know something unique um i i enjoyed being a kid that was you know encouraged to try new things on the regular so when we would travel or go places it was always you know try the kangaroo try the crocodile yep. whatever yep. it was no i feel um, that I those feel are that. the meals i really recall more because again like my family wasn't cooking anything interesting at home. <laughs> <laughs> right on and that's that's no disrespect to anybody listening he's not disrespecting he's just saying um so no totally i i i, I get that um i get that a lot so with that in mind, this is like the perfect transition. When was it that Justin Hummel, uh, now obviously <clears throat> you're surrounded with, you know, restaurateurs and ho- hoteliers. I'm going to make that word up. Go with it. Um, you know, <laughs> you're surrounded by these people. When was it that you went, damn, this is something I can do? Well, um, uh, <laughs> the, the mayor was not such, always such an upstanding citizen. And, uh, Go on, I'm was, listening. When I was 15, uh, I, I might have been doing a little driving before I had my license. <laughs> and um, got myself in a little bit of an accident. And um, so I owed some money. Okay. And my mother was like, well, I've got places for you to work. <laughs> Go, Mom. So <laughs> as soon as I turned 16, I started busing tables at the hotel on Friday evenings. I would DJ the 7 to midnight uh, shift at the radio station Saturday nights and then bus tables again Sunday mornings at the hotel, which used to be really, really busy because it was like the after church crowd. Right, right. Oh, absolutely. And, um... So that's what got me into the industry and hanging around and thinking it was really like, you know, the, 
at that point, the 21-year-old college girls that were waitressing were about the coolest people I've ever met in my life. Of course, of course. Um, you know, so that job seemed pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I get even it. Though the, even though the dishwasher scared me, um, <laughs> and the cooks generally wanted to kill me, um, I, I, I really loved the business, and it certainly, I felt like it got me plugged into a much cooler scene than whatever I had going on in high school. Yeah, um, yeah. But by the time that I was ready to go to college, um, I was only really working at the restaurant at that point. Um, and you know, for a high school kid, the money's great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but I got accepted to college as a, a mechanical engineering major, uh-huh. and uh, thought, ah, uh, you know, I don't want to do anything with this. This. Right. You know, blah, 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 bigger and better things. Right, well, right. after a semester of, uh, I was in this intensive program where it was, uh, I was on a dorm floor where everyone was an engineering major and it was supposed to be like a big brain trust. But I realized pretty quickly that like, whoa, I was way more social than these kids. Yeah, yeah. And that this probably wasn't going to fly, that what I was was mechanically inclined and that could be great for hobbies, but... You know, um, I really enjoyed socializing much more and that, you know, um, being in the food industry was really a better fit for me. (laughs) So at that point, I didn't really have any options at college because I was going to a school that didn't have a hotel restaurant management program and I didn't want to switch schools. Right. So I I switched to a business track and started working at as many different places as I could. So I worked at um, a small corporate place that had about 15 locations in Arizona um, New Mexico, Colorado, Vegas, and then um, I ended up working at a high-end seafood joint in Scottsdale towards the end of college that um, Jeremy Roenick was one of the partners in. Okay, and, yep. Um, and they were, like, flying in lobster from Maine to Scottsdale on the regular, and, you know, it, it was a crazy... That that was the job where I learned how I never wanted to be a boss. But. Right, right. Well, well, and I mean, there too, that's the... It's, I say this all the time and like, you know, my time was far less, but once you're in and once you get bit, there's no anti-venom for it. Once you live it and once you've seen it, smelled it, felt it, you're, you're done for. And you'll always look back at that X and go, oh, if only, like, unless you do it for, you know, your life, which is what you're doing. So talk to me about how, how you landed back at Harry's then, how, how, how we met. Yeah, so um, at the time at the time that I got back from school, um, the, the hotel building that we discussed, um, we had about 40 rooms uh, to rent out. There were um, some smaller meeting rooms on the second floor for um, get-togethers, and then we had a, a ballroom mm-hmm. on the first floor, and then there was the restaurant component. Yep. Um, and the hotel had really been uh, the meeting place of the community for a long time. A lot of the civic organizations had their meetings there. The ladies' card groups and things got together and whatnot. Um, but because of the arrangement that uh, Mr. Benefield had in you know, the 70s and early 80s, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of maintenance that was done. And yeah. as the family got out of the carpet business that we discussed, there was a half of the family that was not interested in the hotel anymore because of the liquor license and the liability associated. Sure. So yeah. um, my, my grandfather, my mother's father was like, hey, th- this needs to stay in the family. This is important to me and the community. And he was a very community-minded fellow. So they wound up um, sticking in the business. So I left for college and my uncle and my mother were sort of uh, running the hotel at that point. Uh, you know, it, there, there were certain general managers and others in the process. But by the time I got out of college, um, my, my mother was the general manager. And um, her husband uh, suffered from multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. 
And um, so I got back in 2002 um, in the fall. I started there in November, I believe, maybe October. And by like December, uh, you know, mom was like, you know, hey, uh, I really got to take care of my husband here. And, you know, here you go hot stuff because yep. you know coming out of college you've got all the answers to everything of course you do like, and yeah you know, and you're always right this, Last I this is fucking easy Sean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right on these man dumbasses would just get out of my way we could solve all the problems exactly exactly um, and, and you know, honestly it was the best trial by fire you could possibly have because at that point the building you know was really old um it was the utilities were incredibly expensive yeah, and yeah. everyone in the family was like yeah no i'm not giving you any more money for this i'm put in as much as I wanted. Um, so it sort of came down to, do I go to a bank and try to get a million bucks to replace all the windows and make this as energy efficient as I can? Because, you know, uh, the 40 rooms, you know, it's great during fair week or when there's something going homecoming, you know, there were a couple occasions during the year when you could really book the joint. But for the most part, um, God, I wish the Airbnb had been around. Oh, then. no shit. That, that would have been. Because yeah, I think yeah. that my life would be on a very different trajectory if yep. it was. Yep. Um, so, but that not being uh, as it was, uh, what I realized quickly was that my, my passion was in the restaurant. Yeah. Um, I really didn't like doing the banquets. I hated weddings. Yeah. Um, yeah. and you know, the hotel was fun, but you know, there was also just a fair amount of like sort of craziness that went with it. Right. And, and you required, you know, three shifts of staff, exactly. whether you were yep. busy or not. So it was very yep. labor intensive. Um, we weren't as busy as we had been. And the, the upside was that, uh, the hotel met all the, needs for student housing so um i looked around we found a developer locally that um, was interested and was basically willing to take the building off of our hands for what we had into it and um you know upgrade it so that it could be student housing Mm -hmm. um which he looked at me continuing to operate a restaurant underneath as you know a selling point for the rooms and it probably was yeah um so i had a really great rental deal where i got a low monthly rent and it really allowed me to focus on my profit center that was doing the best yep and that's sort of when we probably crossed paths because being 22 23 at the time i yep. was leaning more towards the students um we had some pretty popular nights that um kids were coming in for dj nights and yep. we started doing some live music and we we really had a conflict for a while between, you know, staying because we were still doing breakfast for a while. Wow. And, 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 you know, so you were catering to a completely different crowd from, you know, 7 a.m. to probably about 3 p.m. Right. And right. then you would have the local sort of happy hour scene. And then 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock was just madness with the students. Yeah. Um, but it was a good madness and that it was you know, paid the bills a lot. Of course. And, and I mean, I have to imagine to if really... you converted that to student housing up top, like I know that I had younger um, fraternity brothers who lived upstairs and came down. I'd be like, yo, I'm coming up, like meet me downstairs. And yeah. they'd be down. And so like, there was definitely just, just a, a wonderful vibe to that. I had no, no idea about breakfast. Trust me. I wasn't waking up before noon most days back then. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so you do this, and, and again, the, the, the if anybody is listening, this goes back to the the Russell interview I did. If anybody from the sweet days of Bloomsburg is listening, you know Harry's. You remember Harry's, and you love everything about it that you can recall coherently. It was a wonderful, I mean, just 
honest to God, dude, as, as an experience, and I've been in a lot of bars, um, there's, it, 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 it was magic. It was lightning in a bottle. You can't recapture that. No. And, and I think that that's sometimes the toughest thing. Um, yep. if I could, you know, empathize with a drug addict, it would be, boy, I wish I could always get back to that. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Um, exactly. So, so then just to kind of like advance a little bit here, Harry's closes, Harry's two opens. What was the impetus there? And, and I believe it was named Harry's two, right? No, we just called it Harry's. You just called um, it Harry's? Okay. Yep, and that was just yep. us. Yeah. So, um, the impetus was while the arrangement with the cheap rent and the suits up above, you know, certainly served its purpose for probably a good five years. Um, eventually you get really tired of people burning bagels and <laughs> and they had turned the catering kitchen on the second floor, which is right above our kitchen into a laundry room. And like people would come and like yank water lines off the wall. Like oh, we had floods in our kitchen for just on. like stupid behavior. All right. Yeah. So there came this point where the the fireman came to me one time and said, Justin, if you don't start evacuating the building when they pull the fire alarm, we're going to charge you with risking a catastrophe. (laughs) I said, but Bob, you know, it's just some dumbass upstairs who like started something else. It's like, we know that you know that, that we know that, but. This, no, cannot continue. Oh, shout out so, to Mr. Rupp. Shout out to Mr. Yeah, Rupp. so at that point, my brother had come back, and we were working together. My brother was a much more serious fellow than I. Um, and there was this building down the street that was for sale, and it had been for a while. Um, it was a former interior design showroom, but it was originally built as a WT Grant, which, uh, you know, it was before your and I's time, but it was basically a, a Woolworths competitor. Yep. Um, so we went and looked at this building, and we're like, well, you know... It, you know, the bar would fit because that, I, you know, for whatever reason, when when we sold the building to the student housing developer, I said, look, all the fixtures are mine. I thought I have no idea what I would ever do if I sold this business and like wound up with this bar. Yeah. But I love this bar so much. I'm take, I don't care if I sit on it in storage for decades before I have a house like exactly. it in or whatever the hell I do. I'm keeping it. Yep. So, um, and interestingly, the bar is very iconic uh, as it far is. as the local, you know, restaurant scene. And it was built by the Brunswick Company, like the same people that oh, do wow. pool tables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because you know, after Prohibition, people needed bars pretty fast. So this is yep. a modular unit. It's basically eight different pieces that you know all click together. And we just took it apart and rolled it on furniture dollies out the front door and down the street. Just to the down two blocks, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um. You know, the, the new building, uh, was, it was 10,000 square feet. It's a huge mm-hmm, building. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it gave us the, the opportunity to, um, we had a kitchen layout exactly how we wanted it because, man, the, the kitchen in the hotel was rough. Yeah. Um, and, and then also because we had established this sort of, you know, college scene thing going, the bathrooms took a ton of abuse. Yeah. And we were able to, you know, design those in a way that were basically bulletproof and indestructible. <laughs> and, you know, we also hired, uh, you've had Gary Vatican on the show. Yep. He was our first chef when yep. we moved down there. Um, so it gave us an opportunity to sort of reset class to join up a little bit in the afternoon and still have a lot of space to do what we were doing well with the students. Yep. Um, and yes, there was some of that like, oh, it's not like old Aries. It's not like old Aries. But we tried to keep as much of the vibe as we possibly could with still trying to mature a little bit. And I think some of that was just me maturing individually as well. I wasn't 23 anymore. Like, right. No, no, exactly. Exactly. And, and, and the vibe, 
you felt the difference, and yet if you went in, it was still the same, dare I say, Justin Hummel touch to it. Like, it felt the same. Yeah. For sure. And that was the goal. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, um, so then... On renovation, <clears throat> my brother and I did most of the work on the renovation as far as, like, tearing down. So it was sort of like an archaeological dig for a long time because <laughs> there was a stairwell there that had been floored over. We got down there with the original ash floors. Like, it's a really wow. pretty building. And I enjoyed the architecture of it a lot when we were designing everything. Um, I look back now and I think like, Oh my God, like we overkill a lot of stuff, but I think it came out really good. And I'm still really happy with the product. So. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, so, so then from Harry's, um, and I will mess this up cause I'm not sure exactly where you went, but you went away and then you came back and then yeah. we have the study bar. So what happened in between point A and point B? So, uh, we moved Harry's down the street. Um, we have a absolutely phenomenal year, like just knocked it out of the park and we're like, holy crap. Um, my brother, again, being the more serious and, uh, savvy of the two of us was like, well, you know, we ought to see if we can find a tenant or if someone wants to buy this. And me being totally fine with plan A was like, Hey man, do whatever you want. Well, sure enough, we found somebody. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh. And it was someone who had a, a well-known uh, regional uh, concept that, you know, was well-known at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he was also a VU grad. So um, there was a connection to the town. Um, I, I, I started to look at it as a step in the future because, you know, I didn't know how long the Harry's thing was we were going to be able to really ride this. Right, um, right. And at that point i i had been gotten married my brother was looking to get married there soon um life was just changing and um i had an excellent staff that had moved down there with me so there was a comfort level that was there um we all worked really well together and you know so it was disappointing to sort of break up the band but it was the right business move and um so i ended up leasing out the the restaurant for about seven years and then um and i worked a couple different other jobs that were non-food related and wound up moving to Savannah, Georgia, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, where, well, I, I got divorced, you know, sort of went through the whole midlife crisis thing. Um, I'd been on the school board at that point. I really, you know, had a bend for politics a little bit then and said, well, you know, why don't I take the LSAT and see about going to law school? Because at the very least, you know, I could work for a public policy think tank or something like oh, that. Yeah. And that might be cool. Yeah. So I took the LSAT. I get a scholarship to go to Savannah. I didn't know anything about Savannah other than, um, I had heard good things. Oh yeah. yeah. So I go, I go down there to, you know, visit and try to find a place to live and everything. And holy cow, you can walk around everywhere downtown with a drink. And <laughs> I just happened to be visiting during the Savannah music festival, which, Everyone should take the opportunity to go if they have. But Savannah so I'm walking down, I'm writing it down you now. Know, Broughton Street, which yeah. would be the main street of Savannah, with the you know scotch and soda in my hand, and I look up on the marquee, and Lucinda Williams is playing the next night. Mm. And I was like, "Well, I think I found the place I need to live for the, at least the next couple of years." Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's so, amazing. So um, yeah, I found this funky house that, that was close to campus, and. Um, you know, I and I just absolutely fell in love with the city and um, got plugged into a really great Rotary Club there that I met some really wonderful friends at and um, really enjoyed the experience. I didn't stick with law school because it really sucked being, you know, 34 and all these, you know, 26-year-old twerps are running circles around you. <laughs> um, true. All right. 
how I feel it. But I actually, I wound up getting back into, this is a crazy story about there, is one of the things that, um, that I, I moved next to a liquor store. Yeah. Because in my mind, I'm like, well, this is cool. I'll never have to keep liquor at the house. Exactly. Turns out, not so cool living next to a liquor store. Oh, because you're getting all the rabble? There, there's a lot of riffraff. <laughs> um, but I kept thinking, I'm like, you know, I, if I could buy that liquor store, I would turn it into like a crap beer joint. And I thought, oh, that's really shitty. That's pretty gentrifying or whatever. But yeah. You know, about two months later, this dude opens a bottle shop, you know, two blocks away. All craft beer stuff. And I, and I'm walking by there because I thought, well, I'll just go see if this guy needs a hand. Yeah. And he's got a Turkey Hill Brewing Company growler. No! What? Yeah. Oh, nice. So I'm like, this is too weird. It's got to be a different place, blah, 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 blah. So I go and we get talking. Turns out his wife's grandparents live in Belfont. Okay. The closest place that they could find to have a wedding um, where the grandparents could come and still make it back that night was the pump house. Okay, got it. And I don't know if you've talked to them, but a uh, beautiful little place, a little outside of Williamsburg. And um, they actually had their wedding there and stayed at the end of Turkey Hill. Beautiful. And so I come in with this application and like just being from Williamsburg, they're like, yeah, we'll hire this guy. <laughs> ah, nice. Perfect, man. Perfect. <laughs> Yeah, so that was that was the little Kismet in Savannah, but um, that's really all I wound up doing as far as culinary stuff in Savannah. Yeah. Um, and then okay, long story short, uh, they don't renew their lease. Um, my brother's moved on in life at that point. He's like, yeah, I'm not doing this crap again. So I'm going <laughs> out. Right on. And uh, now I'm, jeez, oh, I was engaged to Kim at that point. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, when she moved in, I had to be like, well, you know, I, I've got this, you know, bar in a little town in Pennsylvania and, you know, it's leased right now. And, you know, as long as I still pay the rent, we're doing this. But there's not, there's a chance we might have to go back to Bloomsburg and sort some things out. Never really thinking that, that would, you know, occur. Yeah. Well, turns out we had to come back to Bloomsburg and sort some things out. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, also going back to that, like, you know, wanting to get that hit of Harry's again. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't want to come back and trade on Harry's again. Um, no. I thought, you know, you could go the nostalgia route, but then I'm going to have to sit here and, you know, every Sean that comes in being like, it's all like it used to be. Yeah. Where's, where's the, the Baltimore Zoo? Or shit, was Baltimore Zoo Russell's? I'm sorry. No, no, no. The, they had the mainstream. We were the Baltimore Zoo, yeah. Okay, okay. That's what I thought. You know, where's the Baltimore Zoo, bro? Yeah. No. So we have kept some of those things. Like there's some throwback stuff. I put the, you know, they had, uh, you know, reconfigured the shelving on the bar and stuff, and I restored all that. Um, it, it, you know, it was a very different concept now than what it was to the person that I was leasing. So there was a lot of just clean up, fix equipment, get things back on track, yeah. and also be more community minded. Um, and that was, you know. The, the strain that always sort of ran through, I thought what I was doing was that I always wanted to have a place that was for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the place that was leasing it from me certainly wasn't, I mean, they would just close over the summers when the kids weren't around. So, yeah. um, it was really frustrating to, for me to be a local and talk to people that lived on fifth street, which is three blocks away. And, mm -hmm. been, and they would say like, I haven't been downtown in years. Yep. I'm like, how can you not be downtown? Like, you could throw a rock and hit downtown. Exactly. And yet, but if there's do, not a spot to go, then you're not going to go. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's it, man. That's so it. So 
we, we took that approach as far as like, well, okay, there needs to be some place that, you know, you don't stick to the floor when you go in <laughs> and has, you know, doesn't need super expensive, you know, martinis all the time. You can still get a good beer yeah. and can, you know, thread this needle again. And it was sort of like, hey, I've done this once before. I can do it again. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so we came up with this concept of the study, which had like other couches and, you know, sort of international stuff on the walls and things. And mm-hmm. I really wanted to try to create a place that people didn't feel like they were in a small town. Yep. And that I think we we nailed pretty good. I think you nailed but it, yeah. It was like too much space. And at first, anyway, like we really didn't know what our niche was going to be. Like we were trying to do live music. We were trying, you know, nothing we were doing was really grabbing anybody hard. Right. And it was, you know, just slow burn, basically. Mm-hmm. And we had a small staff, so it wasn't, you know, too big of a deal. It was I was lucky that I owned the building so that we could play around a little bit. You know, if I didn't couldn't pay myself rent that month, it wasn't the end of the world. Right. And um so we had it doing pretty good by like August of twenty nineteen. We had some yeah. really cool national acts booked for twenty twenty. We were looking forward to that. We thought we had sort of found at least a groove that we could exploit. And um, then COVID hit. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it just turned everything upside down. And I have this huge building with no outdoor space. So I'm like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do? Right, right. Um, the, and what we wound up doing was uh, my wife's firstborn uh, American. So her parents are uh, both of Polish descent and mm-hmm. immigrated here. Um, so she's from the Chicago land area and, um, is very familiar with all these Polish foods and things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I said, you know, and this is something I brought up to her in Savannah. Like Savannah had this really great, um, farmer's market every mm-hmm. Sunday in the park. And she was bartending down the street and we were talking one day and she said about making pierogies. Mm-hmm. And I said, if you ever want to make pierogies, we could sell them at the farmer's market. And I bet you could do really well. Cause I mean, and coming we back up here, like you're in. The hotbed of Polish food love. Yeah. Yeah. Except it's really interesting because, like, Chicago has the largest population of Polish people next to, like, Warsaw. What? But people wow. around here have no understanding of it because, you know, we just think of, like, the coal region as the hotbed of Polish culture. Right. Which is in this area, but, you know, they're, you know, dialect, they're distinct. Exactly. So, exactly. I, when we came back here and, the restaurant had to close. I was like, we ought to do the pierogi thing. Yep. So she made some pierogies that were really, really good. And we started trading them for like, my neighbor had chickens. So we were getting eggs and, uh, the guy who was mowing my grass, we were trading for, you know, pierogies for yard work and stuff. It was awesome. Yeah. I love the barter economy. I love barter economy too, man. <laughs> hot sauce, hot sauce and me, baby. I got you for days. Right. right. <laughs> so we started making these pierogies and she goes, well, you know, this would be easier if I did it at the restaurant. Hell yeah. So she did, and then we could make more. Yep. And um, so we, we went through everything to find out what we needed to do to sell at the farmer's market. Basically, it was just don't put meat in anything, and we're pretty good. Yep. Um, so we started making, like, four different kinds. Um, and the one thing that was really unique about the pull, the Chicago difference as opposed to where around here is that sweet pierogies are a thing over there. Oh, hell yes, so, they are. Yep. Yeah, so when we started, her grandmother, who was like 92, was like, Kimmy, if you're going to do pierogies, you got to do blueberry pierogies. Mm. And that was sort of the one that everyone looked at us like we had two heads. Like, what is this nonsense? But that really got to be the sleeper hit over the summer of 2020. Um, 
So we would make a, she would go in and make the stuffings on like Tuesday and Wednesday. I would make the dough Wednesday afternoon. Mm-hmm. And then Thursday and Friday, we would just like turn up the radio and crank out froggies. Just mash them out. Yeah. For Sunday. Yeah. Or for Saturday, rather. And then we'd go sell them all in four hours on Saturday. Beautiful. And I was like, holy crap, this is the best get going. Um, the people were so appreciative because, you know, the, the older generation that's getting together at churches to do these is, you know, not there anymore yep. or not able to, you know, do it anymore. So yep. it was the most fun that I've ever had interacting with customers who were genuinely appreciative of the product that you were producing you and recognizing that, A, this is a lot of work and B, um, it, the amount of people that came up and said, I haven't had pierogies like this since my grandma made them oh. was the absolute oh. best compliment you could have. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Tell me I'm pretty. Tell me I'm pretty. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and I actually remember when I got – when you guys first started tipping this off, like, I reached out. I'm like, yo, I need to get the six – I believe at that time you had six different types. I want all six yeah. types. And there wasn't a sleeper in the batch, and the blueberry was my number one. I'm like, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> what are you doing? Why? And I loved yeah. it. I, I loved them all. I loved them all. So, man, so so you make all these. COVID happens. You're doing the farmer's market and everything. Then COVID starts to recede a little bit. Yeah. So then and how do you point, integrate A and B and make literally one of the perfect spots on Main Street right now? I'm biased, but go ahead. <laughs> well, it started mainly because, you know, like I alluded to before, you know, nothing that we were doing was really grabbing anybody. Right. And when we had that opportunity to reopen, um, we said to ourselves, like, look, you know, our, our menu wasn't setting the world on fire to begin with, and these things are moving really well. You know, there's, at least as long as we're making them, there's a low overhead cost. It's just, you know, a lot of flour and water, you know, whatever the fillings are. Right. You know, I, I was fully expecting that to shut down again, which we did wind up having to do. Mm-hmm. So it was like, well, let's take the lowest risk option. We'll just open with the, you know, pierogi menu and we'll get some, um, we'll start, we start, that's, I think that's when we started making the holishki mm-hmm. and, um, we found a local kielbasa provider. Beautiful. So, um, we're like, okay, then we've got a sandwich. We, we've got, you know, a non-pierogi dish and we're just going to roll with this and see how it goes. Well, it went really well. So mm-hmm. we're like, okay, cool. We still wound up closing again anyway, because COVID was just like, yeah, I mean, it was, it was beating everybody up, taking everybody's lunch money, so. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we pretty much stuck with the whole um, farmer's market thing for most of 2020. And then April of 2021, well, a little bit before that, I guess. Because at that point, there was a local um, coffee shop on Main Street that um, had gone out. The guys that were running it were regulars of ours at the study. And mm-hmm. we knew that they were sort of, like, feeling jerked around. So, um, I said to my wife, I was like, you know, God, you can't have a Main Street without a coffee shop. Like, that's, this is bullshit. Yep. Let's look into this. Because if nothing else, we have a big enough kitchen that we could run it as a commissary for the stuff in the morning and still be doing what we're doing. Yep. So, we went and we looked at the space. You know, they had a bunch of, you know, used equipment and everything, obviously. But, you know, I think as many young entrepreneurs tend to do, you know, oh, I got a brand, I got a brand. Yep, yep. No, man, you gotta, you got some used restaurant equipment. You're right. You're right. Uh, you know, not that that wasn't hard fought. No, exactly. However, no, I get um, it. Um, 
you know, so like, you know, between the rent that the landlord wanted and what the you know gentleman wanted for the equipment and stuff, I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me. And so we, you know, we sort of set it aside and we walked away because the other building that was available downtown was the old morning press building. Mm-hmm, and I thought mm-hmm. that's the perfect name of a coffee shop. I oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that didn't really suit well ADA wise. So anyway, sure. we look at this other location, we walk out, we take about three steps. And my wife goes, Brewski's. We'll call Beautiful. it Brewski's. Um, it's coffee and beer and Polish food. And I was it. like, brilliant. Done. So, um, we started looking around for like a pastry cabinet. I cut a big section of the bar out to drop it in. Um, I got a hold of the guys that, you know, from the former shop and said, look, here's what I'm looking to do. Um, I understand that you guys are really into the coffee scene, but um, I, I, I want a good cup of coffee that people can come in here and get and get the hell out of here. Yeah. I'm, I'm tired of waiting 15 minutes for a black cup of coffee. I yep. don't need it to be dripped or yeah. pressed or any of the shit. It just yes, needs sir. to be good. <laughs> yep. And we can keep doing the other things, you know, but I want the focus to be on, you know, quality and efficiency. I feel that. And, um, so we went that we found the local roaster, we went down, we tried a bunch of different stuff and came up with a proprietary blend. Um, so it is actually, you know, our own roast and beans that we've picked, um, and, you know, got rolling with this and, and I could not have done it without these guys from the coffee shop because I don't know shit about coffee. <laughs> and right honestly, I'm not even really that interested in learning more shit about coffee. No, you just, <laughs> you, you know what you like. You know what you like. Like there, there yeah. are people who will talk to you about the notes of a whiskey, the back notes, the forward notes. And there's people who just want to drink whiskey. So like, it's good. It's good. And I tend, you know, that's where I, I, I love this business, but that's really what I tend to like lie more in things is that, you know what? I like a good meal. I like having a good meal with good people. Right. Uh, I'm not going to sit there and overanalyze everything. If it's good in my mouth, great. If not, I'm not going to eat it. Like, I just yeah. don't really give it, you know, I'm not that hard about any of it. No, exactly. Exactly. So, um, so what's, what's Brewski's been doing? Like, talk to us now about like, bring us up to present day. You know, you have this concept. I know for a fact. I have to tell you this. When I came in uh, a couple weeks ago, we have this event we call Friendsgiving where we have the the friends we choose as family here. And uh, yeah. Anthony Bourdain's uh, sous chef, Beth Oretsky, who was at 100, um, rode downtown because she dropped her phone on my pool deck and shattered her screen. So we dropped it off at iSell Repair. And we're like, what are we going to do for 20 minutes? I said, I have an idea. Let's go to Brewski's. So we slide in there, and she's like, oh, my God, I remember the space. And she looked around, and she was just enamored with it, dude, enamored with it. She's like, this is the most beautiful space I've ever seen. So kudos to you and yours. Wow. But well, like, I'll definitely take that compliment. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> what what has it been doing? Talk to us about that. Um, I am most proud of Brewski's than anything else I have done because I, I really that. feel like that this is the representation of what uh, Kim and I have worked for to get to this point. Like this is really, um, a hundred percent from us. Yeah. Um, so like right now where we're at, um, we've scaled back the pierogi menu Mm -hmm. to the, you know, we're keeping the the sauerkraut mushroom, the three cheese, the garlic, the garlic mashed. Actually, no, we took that one off. We still use the garlic mash for the potato pancakes, but, um, um, the apple pie, and then we're doing like a rotating seasonal one. So last Love month that. we had, we actually did a s'mores pierogi, which went really well. What? 
Uh, yeah, that wow. was intense. All right. Um, and then, uh, this month we're doing a butternut squash. Um, so the guys are getting really interesting with it. Um, because we've scaled back the amount that we're doing, Kim and I are back to making all the progy again, which is nice. Okay. So, um, I, I, and honestly, that's the craziest thing. Like I've never come from a family that had a tradition where we've like gotten together and made anything like that. Yeah. So it, it is nice to sort of reconnect with what I started liking about this mess. You're doing able it to pick that up basis. and feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Now it does get to be a little bit of a bitch now because, you know, life has picked up again, basically full speed and I'm an idiot and, you know, now I'm mayor. So like, <laughs> I don't have the time that I used to, to just like casually enjoy pierogies. It's now more like we've got four hours and 50 <laughs> dozen to do, get it yeah. done. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right on, man. Um, but it is nice. You know, I like having my fingers on the product. So that's cool. Um, we've been able to expand this, you know, when we started, we had like six people and now we have 17. Nice. Um, so in that whole sort of process of like, it was great to be able to be open. It was great that we had a product that allowed us to be profitable from day one. But I think that what we were seeing was that people were like, well, I'm not in the mood for pierogies and I'm not like going to like pierogies in the theater. Right. Um, so we weren't really seen as like a dinner spot necessarily. Right, right. So we started expanding the menu. This new menu that we have um, has a lot more sandwich options on it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We've got like a buffalo chicken dip now. Um, um, a hummus. A, I, I heard about the hummus. <clears throat> the hummus is great. And yeah. honestly, again, what I'm liking is that these guys are making everything in-house. Like short right. of the meats that we buy in um, for the sausage and the kielbasa, everything in-house is being prepped. Love it. Um, so we've got a burger now. We've got a homemade veggie burger that's really good. Um, hummus, uh, mm-hmm. artichoke mm-hmm. spinach dip, buffalo dip, those sorts of things. Um, still sort of staying in the probably more lunchy fare, but certainly nothing that you wouldn't have for dinner. No, but see, um, here's here's the thing. When when Beth and I came down and, and, and Kim was gracious and, and we went back and we, we bugged your chef. And I think your chef was a little starstruck after Kim told him who Beth was. <laughs> Um, you know, I was looking at the menu and I said to Beth, I'm like, this is where you want to be. Now, all respect due to Russell's, the 14 page menu is not sustainable. A front and back is. Yeah. And that's where you have to be. I don't care if you feel lunchy or you feel sandwichy, just be true to yourself and know your limits and know who you are. And I think, again, this is just me because I haven't even eaten there yet. I swear to God, I will soon. Brewski's (laughs) has its finger on who the F it is at this point. And that's where I think we're all at right now is that, you know, we have our game down pretty good. Like I feel very much like I'm just fine tuning things right now. We're working a lot on just, you know, uh, processes and you know, how we can, you know, cause again, the the industry has changed so much, you know, and especially in the, in the segment that we're in, there's a lot more online sales. You know, we have the ability through our POS system for people to order online and come pick up their coffee. Um, so it creates a different interaction. Um, we're, we're doing this, you know, there's no waiters or service staff. So, you know, you can order from a QR code on your table and the yep. food will come right to you. Um, we'll, you know, we'll call your name for your coffee order. And then if it's alcohol, you got to come up and, you know, order it from a bartender because we got to see your ID if we think you're too young. Exactly. exactly. Um, you know, so that's the other thing that we, I feel like we're fighting a little bit is, you know, my, my mother is very supportive, but doesn't like coming there. She wants a waiter. That's you know? not, yeah, exactly. I was just going to say that's not her scene. 
Yeah. Yep. And, and, you know, so you're isolating a certain amount of the population for just the sake of like, look, I'm paying people really well here and I cannot find a way to pay someone to stand around and make sure that your coffee's filled for three hours while you sit here and study. Exactly. Exactly. No, you're Um, right. You're right. You're right. And and, and it's an interesting, you know, concept too with the coffee and the beer because you you have that. You have those tables that like we have people that will come and they're either working from, you know, remote or they're studying or whatever it is. And they will sit there and they'll order something, you know, once every hour. But it's nice for them because they can do it from their computer or their phone and it just appears. But we're very much, we're very much there now. Like we are the remote work generation. I was doing remote work for 10 years before COVID hit. Most people weren't. And now that we are, that's where we want to be. It's like, bring me what I need when I need it. And that's all. Yeah. Let it go. Yeah. Let it go. Man. I'm at the point, Sean, honestly, where I'm seriously debating putting in like four quiet rooms that are just like, you know, four by six spaces that people can sit and take meetings. Or Listen, dude, if you could make meeting out. spaces like that. Oh, my God. Well, we'll talk. We'll talk offline about that because we don't want to be spilling any kind of trade secrets or any <laughs> ingenious shit like that. But. I have to ask you now, you know, we brought it to present, but I got to ask five year plan, man. What's going on? Um, boy, that's a tough one. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I'm mayor till 2024 and it's 2024. He says that so casually. I hate him for that. He's like, Oh, I'm mayor until 2024. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sort of any unforeseen controversies or otherwise impeachments, I guess. Well said, well said. All right, moving on. Um, so, you know, we're we're definitely, you know, in it for that. And, yeah. you know, we're mid-40s and childless. And I think that there's a certain amount of, like, hey, the world's kind of burning around us. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it is. There's a little bit of a thirst to go get as much of it in as we can, since we don't know how to live anywhere other than Earth. But, um, you know, I, I, I love this community. Yeah. And I wouldn't have wanted to be mayor if I didn't love this community. So, you know, we're, we're seeing where this goes. Honestly, I feel like this is very much a young man's game. Yeah. And I see the people that are working for me right now um, and want to be able to support them and being able to get ahead in this game. Because, you know, you and I, I'm sure, have wonderful ideas, but... We're in a college town, and I think you have to be a little bit more cutting edge than even I'd like to think that I am. No, fair. And um, I want to give, you know, some of the younger people an opportunity. So I think that at some point I'm looking to make this, you know, transition to other management, you know, because basically that was the same opportunity that was given to me. I was just going to say, because that kind of mirrors your evolution. And yeah, I had a big ball of wax that, you know, it was sort of like you could make something of it or you could really bury yourself with it. Yep. And, uh, and, and I was fortunate enough to have the support to be able to, like, not necessarily monetarily, but I always had someone that I could call and say, hey, what's your thoughts on this? What do you think about this? Yeah, and that's huge. That's huge. If yeah. you don't have that, you're operating in a vacuum and you die. Like, no question. Yeah, and I'd like to be that person for someone else at this point. There you go. Um, you know, yeah. and... Also, I think you get up to a point, too, where, you know, I don't know whether it's the pandemic or you just get older, but, like, you know, managing people's not that much fun. No, it's not. No, it's not. There's no fun in that. Let's just, let's break that shit down right now. There's not. Full stop. And I love our staff. We have excellent staff. Um, and yeah, like, there's just, there becomes a point where it's generational. And I used to think back in, you know, the old dirty days 
where, God, I was way too young because I was partying with the staff a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not good management either. But then you also reach this point where it's like they're partying and like you're not, you know, like you're going to bed at ten o'clock. Yeah, what the? <laughs> and I, I feel like I'm starting to get there. <laughs> Editor's note: I do have Justin up at ten thirty nine right now, and I'm interviewing him, so that's on me. Um, so hey, man, like what, whatever comes, let it come. Um, all I can say is, man. From from when I met you to today, you've done Bloom right, um, and I can I honestly cannot wait to see what five years from now brings for you know brewskis, whatever it might be at that point in time. Because I can only imagine it's going to be amazing. So, couple of quick after questions for you, buddy, just to wrap up here. Um, yeah. And this one for sure, I've been chomping on this all day. I wanted <laughs> to know this: if you and I are, let's say, we're making pierogi in a kitchen, right? And you have control over the music. What are we listening to? Oh, Neil Young. Oh, love it. Love it. <laughs> Just straight up Neil Young? There's no variance? Oh, Neil Young Crazy Horse. Like, I, it's something upbeat. So I generally go with, like, a live, you know, he's got this archive thing going now where he's releasing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I and it was either that, um, my wife likes uh, Dave Matthews Band, so she would put on, like, Dave Matthews Band, or, or most of the time we listen to, honestly, NPR. <laughs> oh, did do... <clears throat> Every morning, dude, NPR is on on our, our radio in, in the kitchen. So there's no question there. I get that. I feel that. Um, I mean, if it wasn't, all we had to talk about was pierogies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, like, how long can you talk about the philosophy of flour and water? Like, exactly. Let's be honest. Um, all right. Next one, Justin. Mayor Justin Hummel, I'm going to strand you on a deserted <laughs> island. Um, and you can only take three foods or food-type items with you. Inexhaustible supplies, but only three. What would they be and why? Oh God, this is probably embarrassing. <laughs> no, let it go, man. I've I've heard some I've heard some pretty uh, National Enquirer shit from people yeah. about what they take. Uh, God, jeez, what would I do? <laughs> three things on Desert Island. <clears throat> I'm a sucker for ramen noodles. To be Love perfectly it. honest, oh, yeah, my go-to. So that would be on the list. Um, I like a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich, so those, and, um, God, I am really plain Jane. Uh, yeah, I, I hate to say it, but I don't even know, like, we start doing the HelloFresh thing, like, and Kim cooks and I clean the dishes, so it's yes. just like, you know, I feel like I get presented with the menu, what do you want? <laughs> well, there I you go. I have thought about food that enters my mouth very much these days. I love it, man. No, man, ramen and PB&J, that's gonna sustain you. For a you long time. Be there. I mean, <laughs> yeah, there you, I, listen, listen, I was literally about to pick up my phone and text you and be like, mention pierogies, Justin. You're going to catch shit for this if you don't. There you go. Yes. Yeah. Of course you meant to say pierogi, Justin. I will not be pinching pierogies on my island. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, Melanie Denea did uh, the book My Last Supper and the next course. Each one has 50. World-famous chefs, amazing in their own right, and they're all asked the same kind of questions regarding their last meal. So if you knew your ticket was getting punched tomorrow, what would your last meal be? Who would be there? What are you drinking? What's playing? Go. Talk to me about the movie. I would go full Ron Swanson and want, like, the steak dinner. Love it. With lobster tail side and a big cigar and a good tramp whiskey. 
Um, and I would probably want like the funniest people that I've met in my life thus far. So I have a really good friend from Savannah from law school. Um, but you know, my buddy in Florida that we went to high school together, another local guy, um, you know, people that are just going to make my sides hurt from laughing exactly. without me having to really contribute too much. Um, and yeah, a night full of witty banner with those crazy folks and obviously my wife. Obviously, but, good boy. Um, listen, listen, a uh, little pointer for the future. You want to mention her first and pierogies <laughs> first next time. That's, that's, I'm 20 years married next year, dude. I've got some tips for you. Um, last question for you, Mayor Justin Hummel. Um, what is food to you in a single word? Comfort. Oh, I love that. Love that. Yeah. Love that. Cause I mean, it is, it's, it's what you think about. It's the first thing you seek when you're born and you know, what's your last meal? Like it, it really is the bookends of life. Well, and you know what else? I, I'm, I'm thankful every time that I eat, probably because I don't cook for myself very often, well, there you know? You know. Yeah. And it's whether I'm at a restaurant that someone else has done a really excellent job or, you know, our domestic arrangement where Kim really enjoys the cooking and, you know, does that. Yeah. Every day I try to be really, you know, thank you for yeah. this meal because A, I didn't have to cook it, but B, it's always really good. And it's our time where we actually like sit and spend together. Absolutely. And we're not always the best at like sitting at the table without the TV on most of the time. The no. TV's on and we're on the couch. But it is that time where we're probably not thinking of something else. Later. You're making a, yeah, uh, you're making a connection over a shared interest, which is the love of food. Yes. For sure, man. Yeah. Well, Mayor Justin Hummel, you've made it through the gauntlets. You've made it through <laughs> to the end of the interview. Uh, if I may plug you. Brewski's Coffee and Bar, 22 East Main Street, Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania, 17815, 570-317-2865. Check them out on the Facebook and the Insta, all that social goodness, um, because what they're doing is really freaking unique and really freaking awesome. And I cannot wait to get down there and try the hummus myself, sir. Yeah, we'll come in for brunch on Sundays. We have live music every Sunday for brunch. I am going to have to do that. I'm going to pay one of the kids to watch the other kids. And uh, it might be the middle kid that I pay to watch the older kid, and it would get really awkward really quickly. But whatever. What are you going to do? So, (laughs) Justin Hummelman, man, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here with us tonight. Thank you, sir. Take care. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode number 194 of the Course Garden Podcast. With me this evening, the illustrious mayor of Bloomsburg, Justin Hummel. Our producer, as always this evening, has been Johnny Lubin Robinson, a.k.a. the Reverend Johnny Lamoria. Be sure to check out all his Pirate Libertarian and 18431 happenings on the socials. And happy one-year anniversary, by the way, buddy. Next episode, now we're going to go back to Honesdale, so you're not going to want to miss it. Stay tuned. <laughs>